0: listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast, I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right into today's message from the Word of God. Please open up your Bibles to the book of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and uh, verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 2 beginning at verse 14. Depart from evil is what we will talk about today. Paul says remind them of these things charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some nevertheless the solid foundation of God stands having this seal the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity father we thank you that your word tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We thank you, Lord, that the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. And there is no creature hidden from your sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Father, we thank you that the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. We thank you, Lord, that every word of God is pure, and you are a shield to those who put their trust in you. Father, we thank you that you desire truth in the inner part, and in the hidden parts you will make us to know wisdom. This we thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen. Depart from iniquity. We're finding more often that as believers defect from the truth, it is because of iniquity. And so we see that false doctrine is behind people that are departing from the faith because they want a very broad God instead of one that is narrow and difficult. Because remember what Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Narrow is the way. Uh, and, and he continues by telling us that there will be many that will go by, the, by the, uh, the broad way and the wide gate. And so we have to be very careful not to follow along with that crowd. Because that crowd is the wrong crowd. Let's go in by the narrow gate. He says here, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Every moment we're in the fight of our lives to keep that which was committed to us so we won't be lost In hell. Go to uh, 2 Timothy. You're in 2 Timothy. Uh, Go to the 4th chapter. And look at verse 9. The 4th chapter of 2 Timothy verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. And that's Paul speaking to Timothy. For Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. And has departed for Thessalonica. In other words, Demas was once an individual that was a follower of Christ. I mean, he was perhaps uh, preached the gospel to. He probably received the, the gospel and, and and was really growing in the things of the Lord. But then all of a sudden, he took, he made a turn for the worse. He decided that he loved this present world more than he loved Christ. And that's why we we pray each and every week at the conclusion of our our messages that uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and this world is passing away. So why would you go back to a world that's passing away? Doesn't make sense, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. So we have to learn not to be like Demas, who was once a solid believer in the Lord, but turned from the truth. He he became an individual that decided he loved the world more than he loved the truth. If you go into the Book of Colossians, chapter four, turn there. Colossians chapter four, verse twelve. Epaphras, who was one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's a very good prayer to pray. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea, and those in Heropolis, now remember we talked about the Laodicean church, and it seemed like at the end the, these guys really went astray. They thought they, would, they were rich, they thought that they were well off, and they were blind, miserable, and 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 wretched. And, and the Lord warned them to turn from that and get eyes salved so that you can see. So the Laodicean church at the one time was a very strong church, but decided to turn. From, from being a strong church to a weak church to a, a lukewarm church. So we don't need to be lukewarm in this hour when our zeal need to increase and not decrease. For I, bear in him, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. And this is Epaphras. And those who are in Laodicea, Laodicea and those in Heropolis Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greets you. See Demas right here? See, see. He, he, at this point, he was perhaps a very strong believer, a very powerful believer who was brought into the ministry and began to uh, wane and, and left the things of, of the ministry and went after the world. So he left the world, come into Christ, and then... He went back to the world. Listen to what Paul says in Second Peter. Go to Second Peter. Listen to what what Peter says um, about those who were uh, were once in Christ. So so here in Second Peter, chapter two, look at verse eighteen. For when they speak great swelling words and these are false prophets of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. You see, they always promise that you, you'll be free in Christ. You'll be liberated in Christ. But these false prophets are the ones that are slaves of corruption. For by, per, for by whom a person is overcome. By him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. They start out great. They start out good. They they come out of the world then they go back into the world. Guess what? The latter end is worse for them than, than the beginning. For, if, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It would have been best if they had not known Christ at all would have been best if they would have left things alone and just stayed where they were rather than having come into Christ, delivered from sin, and then go back to it. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of Christ than to have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it as a young kid. I've seen it only once, maybe twice. You know, a dog just walked up and he's just staggering all over the place. Just staggering. I'm saying, what's wrong with that dog? He leans up against the wall, then he starts walking, and he walks into the middle of the, of the street, and then he upchucks. And I said, oh, that's nasty. I said, oh, good, gross. But then the, the dog... Felt better, obviously, and went back to the vomit and began to eat it. I'm like, saying, what's wrong with you? You just chucked the thing that made you sick. Why do you want to put something back in you that made you sick? But that's what dogs do. And so remember what, what the Bible says in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 15. But outside are dogs... Dogs, individuals that obviously never came into Christ, but obviously also those that were once in Christ, but departed from Christ, having gone back to the world. A dog returns to his own vomit and a soul, meaning a pig, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. In other words, the pig did according to its nature. It loves mud. So that's what happens when individuals come out of the world, come into Christ, and then the things of this world begin to be uh, attractive to them again, and they go back into the world, just like a dog goes back and eats vomit. So don't be like Demas, you know, having departed from Christ and go go back into the world. Go to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew the 12th chapter. Look at verse 43, Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Now, this is talking about people that were delivered from demons. And all of a sudden, the demons go back to the house that was cleaned up. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. In other words, the demons are cast out. They're cleaned up, but they don't put Christ in there. They don't, they don't develop a relationship with the Lord in terms of honoring and obeying his word, which is the commandments of the Lord. And as a result, the demons they come back and bring seven other spirits more wicked than himself. You mean that there there are demons that are more wicked than than other demons? Absolutely. Remember what Paul taught in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Um that there are power, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, wicked spirits in heavenly places. So there is an, an, uh, an empire, if you will, a, a, a order of rank, if you will, of demons that are more wicked than themselves. And that's what happens. The world becomes more attractive. The things of this world, I mean, Satan deceives you like he deceived Eve. God is withholding good and knowledge from you. You know, you, you, you're missing out. You're, you're, you're really missing the good life. You could, have, you could have good and evil, but God wants us only to have good and not evil. A lot of people, they, they, they say, well, why does God allow good allow evil? Well, well you got to look at it from the perspective of the Bible. And when God told Adam of the trees of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God wasn't withholding anything from Adam. God just told, him, told Adam not to eat. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of you, you shall surely die. Simple rule. But but Satan decided to go the short route, deceive Eve to get to Adam. Mm-hmm. But you see, it wasn't Adam wasn't the only target. Both of them were the target. We can't blame just Eve, and we can't blame just Adam. We blame them both. They're both responsible for the evil that that was brought into the world. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 is very simple. That by one man's sin, death came. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Because Adam and Eve were one flesh. Remember what God told them in in the second chapter of Genesis. And the two shall be one flesh. So the target just wasn't Adam, and it just wasn't Eve. Although, we do have to say that Eve was deceived. Mm-hmm. Come on. Adam didn't do his job in kicking the serpent out. Didn't do his job, and the combination of the two brought all this evil into the world. Uh, lately, in the last uh, several uh, days, there has been storms around the world that some people uh, are not privy to. Uh, China has gone through two uh, typhoons yeah. Japan has gone through the second typhoon that went through I mean just just mayhem and confusion all over the place there's a store there's a storm down in uh, uh, the Baja California you know the Baja p- Peninsula uh, which separates uh, Baja California from Mexico and it's going up into the southern portions of of California, and they're going to experience rain like they've never seen before. You have to remember that there has been a drought for several years, and now they're, they're about to get pounded by this, these waters, and it's gonna be ugly. Uh, recently, in the, on the East Coast, uh, in Rhode Island and in Massachusetts, there's been storms that have come through that have taken lives and destroyed property. Down there in North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina, the storm came through from west to east and, and really poured water a uh, 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 a large amount of water uh, upon the area and and so we're 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 seeing uh, uh, these record rainfalls for a reason and, and and so you know we do pray for God to have mercy we we you know there there nobody wants to go through that and lose lives but I will say this. It's a wake-up call. It should serve as a wake-up call to the world to get saved before you get taken out by the storms, to come to Christ. We don't want to see it like that. We don't want to see it that way, but you have to remember Noah's flood and you also have to remember Sodom and Gomorrah. So you know while we do ask the lord for mercy we also pray that that people would preach the gospel to them share the gospel with them and that they would turn from their sins and place faith on Christ alone so uh, believers that are ineffective in their witness or letting their light shine and be salt in the earth haven't departed from evil how does salt lose its flavor Go, to the, go back to the fifth chapter of, of Matthew, the fifth chapter of Matthew, because when, when we studied this out on the last uh, few um, Sundays, uh, there was some good stuff that we've learned. But here is something that I, I didn't really pick up on because, you know, I sat there and said, how does salt lose its, its flavor? And so you have to sit there and ask that question because if the, if, if the Lord told us that salt will lose its flavor and and how, how can it be salted again? It can't be. but what but how does salt lose its flavor? So look at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, "You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? So there is always the possibility, that salt can lose its flavor. So what, what causes salt to, to to lose its flavor in, in the analogy? It, but reading on, it says, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So how does salt lose its, its flavor? Sin. Sin. When when you and I are in sin, we, we're we're reducing the effectiveness of the salt in us. It's 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 nothing good for but to be thrown out, and trampled underfoot by men. So so we don't want to allow sin in our lives to reduce the effectiveness of the salt in our lives. We have to keep the elements that would. Destroy the salt off of us, and not allow ourselves to go back to the world as demons, having loved this present evil world, and this substance of sin deteriorates the salt in our lives. Sin is the substance that takes the salt out of believers. Then what's next? Oh, look at what Jesus said. It is then good for nothing. Mm -hmm. It's worthless. It is only good for being thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. It's sort of like the parable of the not the parable, but the story of the uh, fruit that Jesus mentioned in John chapter 15, if you'll turn there. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So the salt is worthless. What? It is thrown out. And it is only good to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So if we're not producing fruit, guess what the vine dresser does? He takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes or cleanses, that it may bear more fruit. So you know that you're bearing fruit, when you're living the word of God, when you're obeying the word of God, when you're doing the word of God, when you have departed from evil. Evil is no longer a part of your life. Praise God for, for the believers that are picking this up. We're seeing believers picking up the fact that, hey, I can't, I can't live on any other way. I have to live the way that God says to live. And it is to live holy, to live righteous, to shun evil. So that way I can bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And this is a, a take from uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 through, uh, 22. Starting there when Jesus talks about that a husband is to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And that, uh, that the word is the cleansing power of. You know the bride is going to come as a clean bride, not a dirty one. And so, uh, in fact, let's go there, Ephesians chapter five, because you know here we see in the passage that that uh, that he will he will cleanse uh, or, or prune the fruit. So here in Ephesians chapter five. Uh, Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the, the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be subject be to their own husbands rather in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify... Now watch this. Here's the prophetic aspect of this. That he might sanctify and cleanse her... With the washing of water by the word. So every time that you read the word. Every time that we obey the word. The word is washing and cleansing. You see the the word in and of itself does have power to do it. But it is predicated upon your obedience. It is dependent upon your obedience. We are required to obey what we read and hear. We are required to obey what we read and what we hear as far as the word of God is concerned. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Sin is not glorious. That's why Paul told Timothy to tell the people, Depart from, those, that name the name, those that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But he also said, for he knows them. For the Lord knows those who are his, and let those that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, can can we see the uh, the importance? Because see, a bride wears white. Now I get it. That some change colors and do all sorts of. I I get it. But predominantly, brides wear white, and it must be without spot or wrinkle. Or any such thing. So, so if the Lord—now I know that we some preachers say, it "Ladies, the Lord is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle." Well, look at the process that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. You have to go by the word to be clean. You have to go by the word to be spotless. You have to go by the word to be without wrinkle. You have to be you have to go by the word not to have any such thing. And it's a lot of work, y'all. It's it's work to stay holy and righteous. It takes effort. We'll see the effort in a moment. But look at what Paul continues and says. that she, But that she should be holy and without blemish. So the Lord is not coming back for a church with spot or wrinkle or blemish. It's only coming back for a glorious church having been washed by the water of the word. That she is holy and without blemish. It's very important. Go back to uh, John chapter uh, 15. So that's what Jesus means by being cleansed. Now, uh, we'll get to uh, 2 Corinthians 6 in a moment uh, and 2 Corinthians 7 in verse 1. Because that also tells us about cleansing. So look at verse 3 in John chapter 15. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... In other words, you can't do it on your own. And that's one thing that we have to understand about Christianity. We can't do this on our own. We need God's help. Yes. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So we're powerless without Christ. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. So now do we see what the parable, or rather the story of the salt of the earth is about? When, when we lose our salt, then it is good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot and to be thrown out And if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Which is the analogy of hell. It's the analogy of hell. And so, you know, in our mindset, we have to begin to set within ourselves. I do not want to sin because if I sin, I am no different than a hypocrite. And if I am a hypocrite, I am not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Hypocrites will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. You can't can't tell others to come out of sin, and you're in sin yourself. You have to depart from iniquity. Again, what Paul said. He said, the Lord knows those who are his, and let those that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Say goodbye. Sayonara. Had enough, we didn't have a good time, I'm not going to see you later, au revoir, goodbye, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more. Tell, tell sin, you're done, it's over, you're through. You're not, you're not telling me what to do in my life anymore. Because I do not want to be that one individual that haven't heard the knowledge of the truth and have gone back like a dog to vomit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and, and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. See, a lot of, and, and that's what I've done too in my life. I, I I thought that, you know, hey, you know, God does give Forgiveness, you know, all I got to do is ask the Lord to forgive. And I just kept this revolving door open. Just kept it going. Kept going round and round and round and round, playing with the scriptures. Kept playing with the scriptures, assuming that I'm already good, that my name is written in heaven, that regardless of what I do, I'm going to get in. Once saved, always saved. There's, it is impossible for the Lord to take my name out of the book because, I, look, I made him Lord of my life. I, I repented, but I didn't. It was remorse. And, and just thought that the game, I could keep this game going until the Lord says, the soul that sins, it shall die. And that's Ezekiel chapter 33. The soul that sins, it shall die. You see, those that know Christ abstains from sin. Do not allow sin to rule in its life. So I don't want to be gathered and thrown into fire and burned. Verse 7, you abide in me and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So we need to learn how to abide in him. Stay in him. We only read 1 John 1 and 9, which, is, which says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you're going to use that verse, you got to use it in light of the book of Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. He that covers his sin shall not prosper. But whoever confesses... Now, we, we, we saw in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive sin. sin. But there in the book of Proverbs, it says, that he that confesses and forsakes. Confesses and forsake. And that's where the problem is with, with many believers we confess but we don't forsake we're not serious about departing we want to be able to play both sides of the fence and that and that's why uh, some of the modern church places are heavy on emotion which is equated to his presence but low on obedience i mean what would you do if the lord told you to depart from iniquity would you we, we, would you really be serious and depart from it? Because what's happening is, is that the Lord is testing the hearts to see who is loyal towards him. He's testing the hearts to see who is actually loyal, loyal to him. because. We, we have this silly game in our mind that, you know, God forgives, God forgives. I'll never forget a street, street preacher was preaching to a bunch of, of homosexuals. And, and this, this young lady who happens to be a, hom- a practicing homosexual said, God forgives, Christ forgives. And that's the mentality that is out there in the world that I can still do sin because God forgives. But you see, it doesn't work that way. Obedience to the scriptures... Is what's required. He that confesses and forsakes his sin or iniquity shall obtain mercy. So that means that if I just confess but don't forsake, I can't have mercy. God will not give me mercy. It's when I confess and forsake sin that I obtain mercy. Because God wants to know how serious you are with him. And the only way that he'll know that you're serious is when you have departed from iniquity. We only read 1 John 1, 9, but we seldom venture past this verse to see the rest of, the, of its chapters. We may shout about 1 John 4, 4, you know, where it says that you know, we overcome. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. How can you say that God is greater than he that is in the world when you're still working for the one that's in the world? You can't. you can't. You can't claim that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world if you're doing the works of the world. You're lying to yourself. And see, that's why you know the modern day preachers, they can't touch sin preaching sin to the, to the people because they are in sin themselves. They're in sin. Them, they're se- themselves. They, they're liars as, as much as they got all that music, got a big crowd, but you never hear them talk about sin, talk about departing from sin, calling sin what it is. They're liars. I mean, I, I, I want I wanted to try to be nice. I wanted to, tr- to try to be nice to them. Maybe, perhaps they didn't get the memo. But they reject the memo. They reject the word. I was watching uh, T.D. Jakes uh, doing an interview. This interview was several years ago. and um, eh, not too far ago. Sitting down with the Huffington Post, which is a known left-wing homosexual uh, uh, book. A, a magazine that is online, not a book, but a magazine that's online, and and the, the gentleman asked him a question. So, do you think that the church accepts homosexuals? And he said, then says, "Oh yes, I, we can find common ground. But the church, the black church, can find common ground with homosexuals. And I, I, you know, at one time I wanted to be nice about. Oh well, you know, perhaps he's missing it. And and, and, and all I can hear is liar." He's not telling the truth because God already established the fact that homosexuality is a sin. He didn't change his mind. Remember what it says in the book of Malachi chapter chapter 3 and verse 6. I am the Lord. I change not. God did not change his mind. Uh, and, And James chapter 1 tells us that every good gift, in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And then it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, that it is impossible for God to lie. So if God is good with the homosexuals now, that means that he changed, and guess what? God can't be trusted. God can't be trusted. So who's telling the truth, and who, who's lying? T.D. Jakes was lying. Same thing with, with Joel Osteen, he was asked the question. So do you think that homosexuality is a sin? He, he authorizes, yeah, yeah, but I don't go that way. I, I said, here. see, if, if you're not careful, You'll catch them in their life. But I don't go that way. See, I don't, people are already beat down, he says. They don't need to be beat down anymore. Wait a minute. What about the word of God? What, what about standing as, he says, I'm not a traditional pastor, as some would say. I just like to lift people's spirits up. I say, you're a lying devil. I know who you work for. You don't work for God. You work for Satan. Because God's word is etched as absolute authority. And you know why? Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. We all got to die. We all got to die. We don't have control over death. Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed unto men once to die After this the judgment So if death is true on one hand Judgment is true on the other You're going to stand at the great white throne judgment Not at the judgment seat of Christ You're going to be standing at the great white throne of judgment Not at the judgment seat of Christ Because you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God Why? Because the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 21 And verse 8 And all liars will have their part in the lake Which burns with fire and brimstone then Revelation 22 and, and verse 15. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and, and murderers and thieves and those who love and practice a lie. Why are you going to tell folk that, that homosexuals are good with the church and that they'll go to heaven? I mean, Oprah Winfrey sat down there with T.D. With, 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 uh, Jackson and said, Do you think that homosexuals are going into heaven? Oh, yes. I said, you liar. You liar, you can't can't say that because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Be not deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, who are you to change God's mind? You see, we have entered into an era, a a phase in life where we're instructing God. We're teaching God what he should do about sinners. And his word is clear. I mean, that's what Joel Osteen said, that homosexuals, yeah, I believe that homosexuals will go into heaven. No, they're not. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. They will not get in. And so, we have to stop pretending that God is going to let everybody come in. Sin or no sin, come as you are. Now we get it that sinners have to come to Christ and they're already in the condition that they're in. But they gotta give up their condition for Christ. You have to give up your life of sin. You have to give up your lifestyle to get into the kingdom of God. And so they feel comfortable now around these preachers. Because they're, they're in, they told me that I'm in good with God so I can keep my sin. No, it doesn't work that way. The Lord sent his son to give up his life. We now have to give up our life to have eternal life. That's the way it works. Go to the book of Luke chapter 8, Luke the 8th chapter, because to depart from sin, the parable of the sower is appropriate teaching. Luke the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 11. Now the parable is this, because Jesus is expounding on the parable to the disciples. The seed is the word of God. Those By the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Can you see the types of ground that the Lord Jesus is about to get to? The first level are the ones that are on the wayside. You know that road that goes around the good ground? You have people that are standing on the outer fringes of of the place of the ground where good ground is. And these are the individuals that are not serious about salvation. Oh, they'll hear the word, but guess what? The devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. In other words, they don't even put up a fight. They don't even put up a fight. They let the devil take the word, or the seed of the word, without a fight. And if they do fight for it, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. That's why your emotions are not a good gauge of your spirituality. Your tears, your jumping for joy, your hands even raised, your feet dancing. It is not a good gauge of your spirituality. And it never will be. Because your emotions can change. At one point, you could be happy, and at another point, you could be sad. You could be great and good, feel all jovial on the inside, and then in a the flip of a switch, you could be angry and mad and disgusted at God. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. You see, they hang in there for a little while. Things were going great for a few days. And that's what usually happens when you know, you're in sin and all of a sudden you hear the gospel. You come out of sin. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you see something that can tempt you. Your urges and your impulses in your flesh begin to rise up. And that's when you're, you're fighting and struggling within. Should, should I stay saved or should I sin? Because if you're saved from a burning building, it makes no sense going back into the fire. And that's what you have with a lot of believers that don't depart from iniquity. The fireman comes and saves you out of the burning building, but you jump out of his arms and run back into the fire. You see, they hang out for a while. They they show themselves strong just for a little while. And in time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that, are, that, that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Doesn't that sound like Demas? Having loved this present world, he loved the pleasures of the world. All he cared about was riches and pleasures. Now the word cares means struggles, things that you go through normally in life. Things that happen to you as a normal individual that happens to everybody. But just because it's happening to us is no excuse to abandon Christ. No excuse. And what happens? And they bring no fruit to maturity. Doesn't that tie in with the fruit that Jesus was speaking of in John chapter 15? You bring no fruit to maturity. In other words, they're premature. They're, they're preemie. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart. The word noble simply means a good, literally, or moral, or morally valuable. You see, with with a noble and valuable heart, a beautiful heart. One that, that, that takes seriously the scriptures. And that's why you always have a struggle in, in, inside the church. You have a struggle with, with certain believers that are not walking up to par with the scriptures. And then when they see others walking up to par, they shun them. They ridicule them. They scorn them. They mock them. Now look, all you have to do is begin to obey the word of God on their level or the level where we're supposed to be in terms of Christ. And you got no issues. You won't have to go after those who are perhaps walking a better Christian life than you are. Do better for you, for his glory. But the ones who but the but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So as a summary. They let those that are on the wayside, they let the devil take the word out of their hearts without a fight. Those that are on the stony ground are the ones when the word does not penetrate. That's what it means to be on stony ground. The word didn't penetrate. How many of you know that nothing can really penetrate anyway? If you throw if you throw a seed on the stone, it will not penetrate. And it's simply because of where you stand. If you're standing in the area where there are stones, guess what? It's not going to penetrate. The word doesn't penetrate. They receive the word with joy or emotion. It, it went that far. You, you, heard, you heard something that tickled your fancy. You heard something that tickled your ear. You heard something that tickled your heart. But that's as far as it went. It only went as far as your emotions. I'm, I'm sorry, it didn't tickle your heart. It tickled your soul. It sounded so good. And that's why, you know, you never get caught up in the emotions of the preacher. You hear the truth of the word of God from the preacher. Because that has more substance than the emotions of a way that the word is delivered. And that's why, you know, in certain settings, in certain churches, uh, people are are not readily hearing the word that is being preached. They're hearing the emotions that drive the preaching. They hear the emotions that drive the preaching and and they get caught up with the preacher emotionally, but there's no substance. You, You don't intend to obey the word of God, you don't intend to do what the scripture says. You intend to just have a good feeling after church. They receive the word with joy or emotion. Then they endure for a while and then temptation comes. You see, and here's the other side. A preacher could be using the proper delivery motions of the scriptures, the emotions and things of that nature and preach the truth of God's word at the same time, but, but you are not the one receiving because you do not intend to do what that, that word from that preacher is saying. You don't intend to do it. You, you intended to, to go to the liquor store you intended to go to the corner store where they, where they exchange hands, money for drugs. You didn't, you didn't intend to obey God's word because as soon as service is over and it's late as not, late at night, you go to the strip club. You turn on pornography. You, you go through a whole range of things that the scriptures told you not to do and you do it so what what does that leave you? Guess what? Now you're going to be an individual that will be gathered, bundled up, and burned. But the ones that are the, the ones in which the seed fell on good ground are those having the word with a noble and good heart, what did they do? They keep it and they bear fruit. So, those that are on stony ground, the word doesn't penetrate. They receive the word with joy or emotion. Then they endure for a while, and then temptation comes. The thorny ground. They choke the word with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But thank God for the ones that are on good ground. They receive the word, noble or genuine, authentic, really beautiful by reason of purity of heart and life and hence praiseworthy those are the ones that are noble those are the ones that are good you become praiseworthy in other words god begins to praise or reward you encourage you he begins to to strengthen you by way of encouragement it's just like when God was giving Job praiseworthy. He was giving Job, he says, Haven't you know, noticed, Job, one that, that is blameless and upright in heart, one that fears God and shuns evil? That's praiseworthy. In other words, they realize the effort they must put in and they strive to please God. Go to the book of Luke, chapter 14. Luke 14, because it comes with a price. Luke 14 and verse 25. You see, it it takes effort to be praiseworthy. To be on that good ground. That ground that produces fruit and brings fruit to maturity. Why? Because you're learning to keep that word. And you bring fruit to maturity. Look at verse 25 in Luke chapter 14. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also. Now this is talking about the order by which we love God above our family and even our own selves. Because remember what the Lord taught in the book of Matthew chapter twenty-two, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so there is no conflict or a contradiction here. This is the order by which we're to love God above everybody else, including our own lives. We love our we love God more than we love our family, and our own lives. So that's that's what's being talked about here. Verse twenty-seven. Uh, Excuse me, the rest of verse 26. Uh, Brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. If we don't love God more than our family and our own lives, we cannot be his disciple. We can't. It's an absolute. It's an absolute. Verse 27 there. Therefore, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, Cannot be my disciple. See, you don't carry a you don't you don't carry a cross to show it to everybody else. You carry a cross because you're showing everybody else that you're going to die. You see, you're you're dead to sin but alive to God, as the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 6. Verse 28, for which for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and sit down first and count the cost? Oh, I'm gonna build it. I'm gonna build a skyscraper. All right, how much it costs? Never mind the cost. I'm just gonna build it. All right. Go ahead and build it. Watch what happens here. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation, he got started. He laid the foundation and is not able to finish. I mean, all around the city, you can see, you can readily see that, that they started building. Yeah. But it sits there. And you're like saying, when are they gonna finish? W- when are they gonna finish? Well, they didn't have enough money. Great start. You know, they put up these big signs, apartment buildings, affordable housing, and then they don't finish. That's are like saying, where is it? it, it it's just like that, that old lady back in, 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 uh, in Where's the Beef? You got the bread, but the bread is small, but where's the beef? So, so here, Jesus is giving us some instruction here. Look at verse 29. Lest after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish, and all who see it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? I mean, that's an easy mathematical solution. I got 10, he got 20. Oh, let's talk about, let's talk, let's negotiate. Because I know if you got 20 and I only got 10, I'm going to get wiped out. That's two to one. Whether he is able to, with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. In other words, hey, I'm about to get wiped out. Let's talk about this. So, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be. My disciple. That's why when Paul said, The Lord knows those who are his, and let those that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see, you cannot be his disciple unless you're willing to depart from iniquity. So, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, does not forsake all, does not forsake all that he has, cannot. Be my disciple. we got to forsake all. That's what's required here. Because if we only forsake some, then it'll be just like this individual called the rich young ruler. In fact, go to the book of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew the 19th chapter. Look at verse 16. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. Now, behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things uh, shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Keep, remember, keep and bring fruit to maturity. That's what we saw in the book of Luke chapter 8. Keep, enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he heard the word. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. In other words, he made a choice. Now, Jesus, I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to keep my riches. Here is what we saw in the book of Luke says forsake all. He cannot be my disciple. Depart from iniquity you've been listening to the prevailing word podcast we're on apple podcast amazon podcast spotify and spreaker the minister's crucible and prevailing word live is on youtube there's exclusive content for ministers of the gospel of the lord jesus christ found at the minister's crucible.com follow prevailing word ministries incorporated and the minister's crucible on facebook twitter and instagram i'm fred rochester thanks for listening